0: Green Acres Garden Podcast is the podcast that will teach budding gardeners like you to grow your green thumb. For whether you're a newbie or a seasoned horticulturalist, you're sure to learn something new. Enjoy our conversations with community gardeners and gurus from Green Acres Nursery and Supply. We'll answer questions you didn't know you had. Well, hello there, all you gorgeous gardeners and green thumbs. Welcome to the show. So glad you could make it. I'm your host, Kevin Jordan, the cilantro bro and this is the Green Acres Garden Podcast, so
1: let's garden on. It's been a great week out in the garden. I don't know about you, Austin. How's it been for you, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great, Kevin, Um, and hello to all of our listeners. Welcome back to the show. Uh, I've been having a great week, Kevin. Just finished a a big show at my school, and uh, yeah, I'm ready to get back into talking and thinking about gardening. I know we have a uh, great guest today and Good. Uh, yeah, how's your week been? I'm glad you're ready. My week has been great. I've been out in
0: the garden a little bit, been eating. I made some some creamy, some cream of broccoli stew fresh from the garden. It was awesome. And uh, actually, I'm going to go out and visit our friends, the elementary kids out there at Grand Oaks Elementary. I was just there this last week. We are spreading down mulch on top of cardboard. We are doing some sheet mulching around their garden beds. Uh, their winter garden's coming along nicely. And so I'm looking forward to going back and having a nice harvest with them. So those kids were, Austin, you'd be blown away. Yeah? Yeah, I, yeah, I showed up with a truck full of uh, mulch. And I had these kids climbing on my truck, my truck bed <laughs> like wild goats. But uh, I was super impressed uh, with a few of the students. Uh, this one in particular, she worked the whole time so hard, never said boo. I mean, was carrying as much mulch as a human could possibly even hope wow. to carry. And I was just so impressed. And it made me think, man, we got to get these kids gardening more. That's great. These, these are, are elementary school el- kids? Fifth, fifth graders. Wow. And uh, yeah, we're going to go back next week and do some more some more fun. So I'm just looking forward to that. Uh, I just went shopping this morning, and I got myself something I wanted to talk to you about. Austin. Okay, what you get? I got a new tool, which is why I'm smiling. Ooh, uh, yes. I, I got a new hoe. Uh, I got, I got, I got all types of hoes. We've got stirrup hoes. You got traditional hoes. Um, your hula hoe, which is a stirrup hoe, hula hoe. But this week, I got a diamond hoe, a diamond, and hoe? no, that's not the name of my alter a, uh, ego, <laughs> uh, diamond hoe. Yeah, it's diamond shaped, um, cutting okay. cutting blade, uh, just so fantastic for getting some of those weeds growing surface level, uh, especially ones that are coming up out of the rocks or in cracks, uh, even in between the plants in the garden bed. Uh, we've been practicing with it. It works great, so I'm looking forward to uh, to more time out in the garden with my diamond hoe. Diamond hoe. So is the it's shaped like a diamond? Yeah, the head is kind of flat, parallel to the ground. It's flat, and it has a diamond kind of a diamond shape to it, with points on each end. And there's blades along those points, and so you can forward and backward. You can kind of scrape and shuffle along. And it just makes quick work of some of those weeds. Like I said, just like a stirrup hoe, it kind of does similar work. But what's nice about it, it, it isn't uh, blocked off by a rounded edge. So you can kind of jab it into these little cracks and crags. It just, it's been working great. So I'm stoked on that.
1: So I, I just cannot wait to uh, get back in the garden and go rip out some more weeds. Wow, okay. I didn't even know that there were this many types of hose, but I'm excited well, for you. Well, prefer- <laughs> yeah, you're going to be mystified all episode, Austin, because that's what this week's all about. We are going to be
0: demystifying garden myths. We're trying to debunk them. Um, oftentimes, uh, what we think of one day as you know a great gardening technique, um, later on we find out, oh, that's a myth. That really wasn't helpful or in some cases could be harmful to your harvest or your productivity or garden
1: excellent and you know that's one of the things I've been lucky to like I started my gardening journey with you so I didn't learn too many bad myths I didn't really have any but I'm curious like what's a big one what's a like a most a very popular myth that you've heard gosh oh one that I want to just blow out of the water right away and I used to hear this all the time
0: working at the nursery and you in, in a way a lot of these myths they have a root in some kind of logic where it does kind of kind of plagues your brain. You're sure. like, ooh, that sounds like it could work. Right. So here's one that kind of feeds into that. Um, and a, a lot of our listeners maybe have done this in the past um, and maybe still be doing this. Adding gravel to the bottom of your pot to increase drainage. You ever heard about that, Austin? No. I. Hmm. It's an old school approach. So okay. it's folks thinking, oh, I don't want to overwater uh, the plants in my containers. I want to ensure that the water drains out. Just like a French drain in your yard where you have gravel that... um it doesn't work quite like that. So people would be loading up gravel into the bottom of their pots, maybe a few inches deep, and then putting potting mix on top of that, and then their plant, hoping that that's going to increase the drainage and allow their roots to stay happy and healthy. But from what I've researched, and uh, it doesn't work. It kind of does the opposite; it has has a kind of a it negative doesn't... effect on the healthier oh, plant. Oh no. Now they're basically they're in smaller amounts of soil. And the water doesn't pass through that soil through, through that gravel as well as it uh, should or could. So it's really what I'm researched and found out is that you're really better off just finding the appropriate container for whatever plant you're going to grow. Make sure that it has adequate drainage, you know, drain holes that are large and plentiful enough to have water that drains out from the bottom of it. If you have a container that's sitting right on the ground, uh, sometimes it can be helpful to kind of boost them up and have a little air gap if you have drainage uh, problems. But ultimately uh, I, soil 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 just find a really good well-drained potting mix and to go along with that container that has adequate drainage and you'll be just fine the gravel is unnecessary it's not really going to help you out so just just forego that I'm telling
1: you it's, it's helpful to not do that. <laughs> okay, great. Well, I didn't know that myth, but we're going to dive into a bunch of myths here today. Oh, yeah. And uh, we met up with our good friend, Julie Barber, to go over the plethora of gardening myths that you may have heard, but maybe you should avoid. It's a fascinating topic to dive into. Um, anything you want to say before we jump into our interview with Julie? Kevin? Another great week with
0: Julie. I had, yeah. I had an awesome time, and it's always fun to talk plants with somebody who's experienced and knowledgeable and knowledgeable. Knows their stuff. So I hope people, you know, strap yourselves in because it's gonna be fun. We're gonna have a good little garden
1: talk today. All right, here we go. This is our demystifying garden myths with Julie Barber. Here we go.
0: Uh, back with Julie Buttercup Barber. How's it going, uh, our little buttercup?
2: <laughs> it's going great. Thank you. I'm so happy to be with you.
0: Love it. All right, so let's just get right into it. Um, I got some fun little garden myths I think that we're gonna try to explore. Good. When it comes to feeding our plants,
2: yeah. um,
0: I think sometimes, and I've done this when I first got into gardening, you think someone shows you, hey, here's a box or a bag of backwano, you know, kelp meal, chicken manure, or some um, some blend of that, of different ingredients, yeah. and it's your, your nutrition, it's your fertilizer, you think more is better. It's like if something is good, more should be obviously better, um, but is that always the case?
2: Actually, it's never the case. So the least problem with uh, fertilizing out of schedule or more than the bag recommends is you've wasted your money. Absolutely wasted your money.
0: You're speaking my language now.
2: So, (laughs) So stick to the guidelines. Stick to what the product recommends. And know that where you place this fertilizer really matters. When it's a mature plant, you're going to place it at the furthest reaches of the branches, never at the trunk. Plants are thirsty and hungry out at those furthest reaches. Then remembering that there are those three numbers on the front of all fertilizers. PK. Good. When you find out that that first number, which is nitrogen for green and tall, then you find out that the next number is like a 1 Or a zero. What you have is a product that's only going to pay attention to green and tall and zero to the root zone. This is not a plant that's sustainable. This is a plant that's going to be weak, welcome diseases, welcome pests, and you're going to spend another fortune trying to baby this thing along and make it feel better. Instead, look for something that has all three numbers and look for something that says it's organic. When you use a synthetic, it's always a very fast release. You can force the plant to eat it, growing against its better nature, growing at the wrong time of year. So for example, if last month I fed my citrus tree with something that was really high in nitrogen, it would listen to me and it would make brand new leaves. And then it's 30 degrees, 20 degrees. That tree just spent a whole lot of precious energy creating new leaves. And those new leaves are too tender to face that harsh winter cold, and they're going to burn off, weakening the tree. So, as a general rule, we're looking to feed plants as a reward for having grown, not to make them grow.
0: Um, so, not, so it's important that to not just fertilize the correct amount, but also in the correct place. You brought up, you know, putting, piling it right on the trunk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, not. So, why is it better to do it out further away from the trunk?
2: So the feeder roots are the ones that are at the drip edge of the plant. So out in the wild, when it rains, it doesn't rain underneath the tree for a long time. It's just a lot of water right at the very edges. That's called the drip edge. And that's where trees and bushes have their thirsty, hungry roots.
0: Fantastic. Uh, something I want to bring up, uh, I see a lot of, especially online, is people just loving using Epsom salts in their soil, on their, on their plants. What, is, what are they hoping to gain out of that, uh, out of that activity, and does it, is it even worth it?
2: So what they're, often what they're looking to do is handle a micronutrient deficiency. So maybe they see uh, on azaleas or camellias or blueberries, and they're seeing a yellow leaf, and they think, ah, micronutrient deficiency, I better go get those Epsom salts. However, if your plant really does have a micronutrient deficiency, it's probably because your pH is off. Right, So if it's not able to uptake the iron that's there or the epsom salts that's there or whatever you added to it, if your pH is off, that plant will never accept it. So testing your pH level is really more important than just adding things because you think it might be right or because that's what they used to do in another state or another country. Your soil and your plants are your soil and your plants right here in this time and we need to really check on that soil before we start adding stuff.
0: When it comes to deterring critters yeah. or pests, I hear this myth about certain, certain plants you can yep. plant in and around your other, say your vegetable garden or even your flower beds that actually have a positive effect about, of keeping pests away. Yeah, uh, Is that myth, uh, is, that a le- is that legend accurate or am I, am I fooling myself?
2: So that's a tough one. So where I live is, if it was proven scientifically through the university, then I can go ahead and research it myself and see what they did. Those things have not always been researched. Now, is there a harm in putting flowers or marigolds or anything in your garden?
0: No. You read my mind, marigolds.
2: Right? And there's every reason to put them out there as pollinators or attractors to pollinators. But as far as deterring different insects, I'm not I just don't know
0: you're evidence-based yeah you need to yeah show me the studies show it could me be the true studies. Yep. It
2: absolutely could and maybe one year I had tons and tons of snails and I put out plant X and the next year I don't have snails is that proof enough it's,
0: yeah correlation causation right yeah.
2: so I have an open mind but I haven't seen the proof yet
0: okay so we'll say myth uh, not yet busted but not yet proven right all right we'll, we'll keep that we'll come back to that one okay. I like it. When I was at, when I was young boy gardening, I would see uh, my mom just spraying, um, spraying our shrubs and plants down uh, in the summertime, kind ah. of cool them off and, yeah. and keep them happy. Is that something? Should we be should we be spraying our shrubs, our trees, our our plants in our garden at home, you know, daily uh, in the summertime in the heat with water? Is that is that a good thing? Is it helpful, or um, are there some drawbacks to that, or does it really depend upon what plant you're doing it to and when?
2: So in general, I'd say, you know, this is a risk, but over 90% of the time, you probably don't want to spray down your plant. So in the summer, people will do it, you know, to cool the plant down. But what happens is now he's wet and overnight the temperature changes and now you've got diseases like crazy. You need to add the water to the soil not to the leaf material. There are some house plants, there are some other plants that maybe really appreciate misting. You've got a greenhouse going on, but out there in the wild, no roof, open to the elements. I'd have to say that has got to be at least 95% myth.
0: Right, don't do it in the summer. It's just. Can that water, as it's sitting on the leaves, you'll hear some people say, oh, it can burn your, your leaves so, from so, refraction, the light. Is that, is that a thing that's? That's something
2: we've grown up hearing for the last 10, 20, yeah. 30 years. And then I'm hearing some people say that that's not actually true. Either case, it's not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just going to skip it.
0: But now let's, uh, is it still okay? To use water to as in a jet or some streams. To if you see you have a branch or a section that has a you know a few aphid on there, some pests. We've noticed that we've heard from people being that be the first thing you might do before you go yeah. get your, you know, your neem oil or whatever. It, yes. Is that okay?
2: Yes, it is. Now, the timing of, the di- of when you do it is what's important. So organic or not, you have to be responsible about how you're taking care of these insects. So if you're going to spray off that tree that's covered in aphids and you're going to do it at 5 o'clock uh, in, in August, that's not a great idea. You want to do it early enough in the day that that plant is going to dry off before the temperatures get hot and definitely before bedtime, before the sun goes down. So the moisture's not just sitting there all night. Right. It's just going to steam and you're going to have spots and you're going to have schmutz and filth and no. Okay. So the timing really matters. I'm looking for before 9 a.m. when
0: it's really gross out there. But when it comes to like amending our soil, I mean, we talk about on the show all constantly um, that just... Success kind of begins with your soil. Yeah. Build up that soil. What are some of the, the best soil amendments that, that we can actually put into our garden? I know people are like, yeah, you got roses. Just go lay uh, you know, some banana peels on top of your soil, right. and then you'll have great blossoms you know, from all, that, <laughs> all the nutrition in that banana peel. But right. what, how should we truly be amending our soil? for maximum blooms and uh, and maximum results? This is a
2: great question because when we have rocky soil or we have sandy soil or we have 100% clay soil, we hear about amending. Absolutely. But out in the wild, how does soil get amended? Leaves fall on it little branches, little twigs, all kinds of things fall on it. And the term you taught me was F-B-I. The right fungi, the right bacteria, the right invertebrates. Okay? So when that stuff is down on the ground, you set the table for all those things to show up and start improving your soil for you. And we don't want you to mix it in so much anymore. We're asking you to just lay your compost, lay your vermicompost, lay your mulch on top.
0: You mean I don't want to go? I don't want to fire up the old cultivator and just grind it all up and do a powder?
2: No. So here's the thing about cultivators. So you have a great garden, no doubt, and a lot of people listening have fabulous gardens, and I'd like them to reconsider automatically tilling that soil. If out in the wild your soil sits there and stuff falls on top of it, and the right FBI shows up and it works your soil for you, you now have layers. Okay, you've got different thicknesses, different amount of moisture, different densities. And the root zone of the plants that you put in it, expect that. But if you go out there with a shovel or a rototiller and just start mixing it all up, you now have soil that you're starting from scratch with and the roots are not going to be happy. We're looking to add from the top and let it soak in and let the ants work, let the pill bugs work, let all those guys improve your soil for you. It takes a little longer but it is the right way to do it and now you get to be a little bit lazy and proud of yourself.
0: Yeah I feel like over time um, it's less and less effort each season, at least for us we uh, out in our gardens, is that just do those top dressings, you know, yes. we might broad fork it in and loosen that a little bit but
2: if you have yeah, a problem we've, spot. Yeah, right? we got
0: away from that 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 constant cultivating because it just kind of seemed like it would grind up the soil that was hitting and then it would compact some of the soil below that. So almost all tines are about six inches deep, and what they
2: find is you have created an impervious layer at six inches where those tines hit, 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 compacted, compacted, compacted. So now instead of you thinking you've got three feet of root zone, you've got six inches.
0: So yeah, so I've heard that this is a what, no-till gardening. Would yeah. this fall under that? That's right, We're no-till gardening. F- so you're doing less disturbance to the soil, but you're really focusing on adding, adding, adding uh, organic matter and amendments
2: constantly. Just add those organic materials, and just keep adding them on top. Vermicompost is one of my favorites. It's so dense. I was just going to so ask you what's rich. the what
0: you think are, are the best uh, <laughs> amendments to start with.
2: So the vermicompost, you could put down one inch of that. And you're going to see miracles on your established plants, as well as your veggie garden, anywhere that
0: you're planting that's the worm castings.
2: Right. So what came into the worm is one thing. What came out of the worm is another thing. And it turns out it's a hundred times better than what went in. There we go. All
0: right. How does that work, right? Isn't that
2: great? (laughs) Thank you, Mother Nature. (laughs) Compost is a little different. Compost does not have as much nutritional value but it still really helps to improve the soil. So it depends on what you're after. But in the winter, if you're not growing a winter garden, lay down an inch of firm compost, lay down an inch of compost. And now you've got soil that's gonna be protected from extremes of temperature and the wind and the sun and the cold and the heat, and the soil is still gonna be in great shape when you're ready to start again in the spring.
0: Fantastic, amend that soil. All right, so Julie, uh, I know, like a lot of people, they really appreciate having a very tidy garden, yeah. which, I, which I can appreciate because then it just sure. looks so nice and well-kept. But c- can there be any uh, drawback to, you know, racing out to your garden or, you know, in your yard and raking up every last leaf that falls, the moment it falls to the ground, uh, and then getting rid of it and sending it off site in your green waste? Is, is there any benefit to doing it instantly or should, is, can we also maybe benefit from leaving it? What's, yeah. what's the case with that?
2: So it turns out you are not lazy if you leave those things on the ground.
0: Hey, can you, can you repeat that again? I, my wife is listening. Yeah. You, you hear that? You are not <laughs> lazy. In I'm fact, not lazy. You're brilliant. I'm doing something <laughs> important now. I'm not raking on purpose. This is- you
2: aren't. So everything out there in the world expects stuff to fall to the ground. And there's insects and bacteria and fungi. And they're there to break that up. And that improves your soil. If you do not give that soil anything on top, you have not welcomed the fungi, the bacteria and in the insect world. And now your soil is bereft. It's, it's just sterile. And that's why we have to talk so much about adding mulch. Right? Because people don't want anything on the ground, so we're actually telling people to go back to the way it was. Bring in some compost. Bring in some mulch. And if you left some of the leaves down, some of the grass clippings down, let's go back to you saved money.
0: Yep, yeah. Okay, you got me. I'm listening again.
2: (laughs) And you're not lazy. You're...
0: Uh, I'm, I'm intentional. I'm intentionally you gardening you on the are. couch.
2: <laughs> and all the native bees that we have, a lot of them are ground dwelling, and they count I hear that nests. a
0: lot. Everyone's like, leave the leaves for the bees and all the creatures, because they can appreciate that, that leaf matter over to overwinter, to nest, to survive. Right.
2: So leaving it there, that's why Greg says they call them leaves. You need to leave them there.
0: Leave them there. Leave your leaves. Uh, yeah, they're for me, I've noticed they're a great way to um, seasonally suppress some weeds that I have yes. in areas where the weeds usually kind of peek their ugly little heads at me. And if, if I rake them right up and expose that, that bare soil, they seem to thrive, and then they get more friends. More yes. seeds kind of fall in. So I, I've enjoyed it. The one thing I do rake up instantly is when the leaves fall in this little patch of lawn I have. <laughs> but I keep them on site, and then they go right into the compost. And I feel like that's a great there way. So go. if you do have that itch and you just must rake your leaves, uh, I recommend don't, don't send them off site. Compost no. it at home if you can.
2: Compost them at home. And if you do have a lawn, like in the fall when the leaves are starting to fall on your lawn, if it's not a thick blanket of them, you put the mulching attachment on your mower and you Grind leave them up. it all right there. So by being obsessively clean, you're actually hurting your soil. So a little chaos out there is required.
0: I like that. I appreciate it. So I have one one last question for you, and this is kind of a fun one. And I think this might be the biggest myth of all gardens, all gardening myths. Talking to your plants. Does it make Aww. your, can that make your plants grow more healthy, faster, better, <laughs> stronger? If so, um, I'm ready to go out there and start having some conversations.
2: Yeah, yeah. Long ones, right? Oh, yeah. Long deep. Winded, Absolutely. Go to the heart of the matter. Like you complete me. I, I, I don't know. You know, it doesn't hurt them and you might feel better. But in general, I think we're okay just loving our plants by taking care of their soil, not mollycoddling them, not giving them too much, not stressing them out. Talking to them won't hurt, and you get a chance to look at them nice and close.
0: Absolutely. You know, and I will fight for this myth because uh, when we, I tell my students that when we're, we're talking, we're breathing out carbon dioxide. Yeah. That's what the plants breathe in. But I, I think on, on a more serious note, um, if you're the kind of person who's going to go out and talk to your plant, to do that, you have to be near your plants. Yes. And so I think just the act <laughs> right. of um, right. spending, just being near your plants, uh, you're going you're gonna to observe, you're, you know, right. you're going to notice things. Probably before that you you, uh, you maybe wouldn't have noticed before, right?
2: Exactly. So I think it's incredibly useful. I see nothing wrong with it. I find it charming and wonderful.
0: Now, if your plants talk back to you, um, you may have to talk to somebody. You may have to talk to yeah, somebody. I'm, yeah. I'm
2: telling you, it's just my kid in the garden trying yeah, right? to make me think I've lost my mind.
0: All right. So I'm going to go out there and go. I've got some great conversations to go have with my <laughs> with my tomatoes this, this summer. <laughs> I'll be like, come on, you can do it. (laughs) You can can do it. it. Keep those flowers. (laughs) All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us and having us out here. It's been wonderful to be with you as always. I just just love talking to you and learning from you. And you're just a delight to be around. And so I I can't wait to share this with more people.
2: This is just wonderful. I'm, I'm just so lucky I have somebody to talk to.
0: (laughs) Thank right? you. <laughs> so, do you think this is going to be? Looking forward, I want to see if you um, could look to the future. We're, we're in winter right now, spring is on its way. Yeah. Do you think we're going to have a wonderful spring and summer garden?
2: I think it's going to be really wonderful, really wonderful. Just know that we had all this rain, which means your soil is moist down many, many feet. However, it's going to get dry if you don't take over in the summer. So when you've got your veggie garden, still water deep, still test your soil with your finger to find out if it's dry before you water again. But you have been given the biggest gift of gardening for the whole year, a huge, fat, deep root zone that's well watered. Don't waste it.
0: There we go. All right. Well, all of our rain dances worked, everybody. Uh, let's keep those that precipitation coming. I cannot wait for the spring and summer. I am so excited for the growing season. And I just want to thank you one last time for having us and speaking with us. I just, I love spending time with you.
2: Thank you so much. This was wonderful.
1: All right, Kevin, we are back. A big thank you to Julie Barber. As always, you're a wonderful guest and thank you for inviting us. Kevin, what are your thoughts listening back to that? Well, it makes me think
0: we're all here. We want to have great gardens, the best that we can grow, you know, bountiful harvest. And so with knowledge comes power, you know And so learning about these myths, maybe some of them maybe get debunked, some of them get proven, and some are maybe right there in the middle. But knowledge can really help you out, out in that garden. So I loved it. I really enjoy it. And it's one of those things where um, a gardening practice that you utilize, it should be backed up by by science, but by, by research and by what by reality. And so if if your plants are – if what you're doing doesn't kind of align with that, you know, maybe it's time to kind of check things out a little bit. But, of course, in the the garden, we are scientists and artists. Mm -hmm. So there's always room for development – for people to kind of be individuals out in their garden, but it's also great to use some of that science to kind of benefit yourself as well. So I loved it. It's really enjoyable. And, of course, we always need another quiver, another another arrow in our quiver. Nice. And so, they, yeah, we added a
1: few arrows that day. Yeah. Where, where, you know, I'm just curious. Like, maybe people are gardening a certain way. They, they've been taught a certain way, but they want to double-check, like, is this the right way? What, what's a good resource? Should they reach out to to you, or like, how do they check out? You know their practices. Back it up with with your local, you know, cooperative extensions.
0: If you have um, master gardeners in your area, um, usually that's all based off of you know scientific research. We have the master gardeners all throughout California, um, but usually you'll have a local, you know, universities, your colleges. Uh, there's a lot of folks there that are gardening and growing, and kind of have the background to help you out. Um, to let you know what you're doing, um, is it work? Is it is it backed up by science and research? We only know what we know, and you right. don't know what you don't know. So what you know, what today might be a myth, um, might be either debunked or confirmed at a later date. So there's, it's always a good opportunity as a gardener, just yeah, this, always continue to learn, never right. never stop learning. And stuff changes. Right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Our knowledge changes um, with different research comes different results, and so it's it's always good to kind of keep an open mind. And keep an ability about you to always always be in a state of of learning, be open to learning. Learning's like good. That. Don't the, get caught in your old ways.
1: Yeah, yeah. That can be hard sometimes, you know. Some, Absolutely. Right? But it's good Guilty to Guilty as charged. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, try to not garden in a bubble, right? And reach out to others. And um, Kevin, before we wrap up, is there any other like big myths we missed or anything? The last thing you want to about? There's always more to talk about. God, the
0: sugar in the soil to sweeten up your <laughs> crops, uh, your sweet tomatoes, Whoa. things like that. Uh putting banana peels on top of soil to give them some potassium um, don't do that it actually just decreases your available nitrogen you're better off just composting that material and then adding it uh, in and around your plants you would be way better off but the one thing that I really want to leave today with for people is the one myth it's the worst myth of all Austin Do you know the worst myth no I don't know the worst myth of all that I came across as I was researching for today's episode is the myth that we tell ourselves and is what makes it so bad is that we tend to believe it sometimes. And I think you can actually spread this out into different areas of your life. But we'll focus on gardening. Is the myth that I don't have a green thumb? Like I'm not good enough. I could never do that. But people will tell themselves, oh, I don't. And I hear this all the time. I don't have a green thumb. And I think sometimes people are just being kind, or they're they're trying to you know downplay their own they're skills. Being humble. Maybe. But yeah. I think sometimes people say and they believe it, sadly enough. But don't believe that. Even if you're it's you telling it to yourself, you were born with the same green thumb that anybody else has ever been born with. You know, we all have this innate ability to learn and to grow and to cultivate. Um, and so it's all all humans have that same attribute, I think. It's whether or not you, you choose to admit it to yourself that, hey, I do have a green thumb or I can have a green thumb. Um, I can be good at something. If you're listening to this, you have worth, you have value in so many different ways. Gardening is just one of them. So don't buy the lie. Don't buy that myth. You are good enough. You do have a green thumb. You know, and, and you can
1: absolutely um, make your dreams come true. Oh, that's awesome. Beautiful words, Kevin. Thank you so much for sharing the gospel of gardening. <laughs> um, I really like that. And uh, that's a great note to leave on. So uh, with that, Kevin, uh, why don't you take us out? Well, another wonderful week. I want to thank Austin for a great edit, as always. And all of you listeners
0: out there for listening, learning, gardening, and growing. Uh, I just love it. I, I'm so glad you were all here. And I am just the luckiest gardener in the world to be here get to garden one moment, and then talk about the next and share my joy with you all. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And until next week, garden friends, happy gardening to you all. Get out in that garden, go have some fun, and we'll see you next time, garden friends. And please, of course, as always, never, ever stop growing.
1: The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of Kevin Jordan or his guests. These gardening tips and suggestions may work for you, as well as those from alternative sources. When using any garden products or tools, read and follow all label directions. And learn how to save water while gardening at BeWaterSmart.info.